0: Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church Podcast for Sunday, November 7th, 2021. Today's sermon passage is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. If you'd like to follow along, please go to GraceBaptistChurchnc.org. Click the sermons link at the top and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. If you would turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. And while you are turning there, Wambua, would you come up here with me for just a moment? Um most of us know Wambua. This is actually this is Uticus, good biblical name. The one that fell out the window, you remember, when Paul was preaching. And uh, but I, his, his his other names are Wambua, Nzengu. So he Wambua and our family go way back. When we lived in, in Africa, in Kenya, in Nairobi, from 1995 to 97, and Wambua was a, a younger man as as I was not married, now he is married, children, wife, husband, all these things, I need to catch up with him more, but he is visiting the United States, and he's in just for today and tomorrow here, Then he's going down to Columbia and some other places, and then back up, but he's going to be in the States up until January, middle of, end of January, and so uh, Wambua is going to make it back our way on a Sunday, and we're going to give him an opportunity to to speak to us more about some things that are going on. Some of us have been to Nairobi that are a part of this group. Joe's been there, not even on a, on a well, Jimmy's been there, Henleys has been there, others as well, so, um, and so you know what's going on, and we took a trip, what, four years ago? 2017. 2017. Wambua is good with remembering numbers and dates and places and people. I'm horrible. Lord willing, we'll, we would like to do another one. Probably not this next coming summer, but maybe the, the time after that. But we are very ha- glad to have you, Wambua. So if you want to have a seat. But remember, Wambua, pray for him. I'm going to pray for you now in just a minute, too. But you can go ahead and sit down. Um, and speak to him. Like I say, he's only here today, but we'll get him back again before he, he goes back to Kenya. So, and I'll pray for Wambua in just a moment. <clears throat> when, we, when I pray for... The sermon and what's coming up here. So let's read Hebrews chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 5 to 18. I did nine sermons in chapter 1, nine sermons, and then we're only going to maybe two, possibly one more next week. Not sure yet. Um, but we're going to take all of this in one go this morning as we take the Lord's Supper. But Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. And I'll give you the title of the sermon so you can think about that as we read it. Not very creative, but I've named the title of the sermon, Our Great Founder. Our Great Founder. Chapter chapter 2, verse 5. In putting everything in subjection to Him, He left nothing outside His control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him, but we see Him who, for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely, Jesus. Crowned with glory and honor because, this is key here, because... Why is He crowned with glory and honor? Because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. How fitting today as we take the Lord's Supper, this particular verse. But more here, verse 10. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, "...should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering." That's where I get the the title of the sermon there. The founder of of our salvation. Verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I and the the children God has given me. Verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. In verse 15, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are also being tempted. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before You today in the name of Jesus. And we love these words as Christians, as Your people. And we look forward to what You have for us as we Look at these words today for just a few minutes. And as we take the Lord's Supper together and remember our Lord's death. Father, today I pray that Jesus would be lifted up. I pray He would increase. I pray that I would decrease. I pray, Father, that in spite of me, You would work greatly. I pray, Father, that You would give great grace to Your your Word we believe in the power of the preached word and the taught word of God, I pray that you would convict of sin, Father, because sin is our problem, I pray that you would convict that we would look unto Christ and be saved. For Christians, I pray that we would be encouraged and exhorted and also convicted greatly that we might know how great a Savior we have this day, And Father, I also pray for my brother Wambua in his time here in the United States. Pray that, that Father, things that he would like to get accomplished would happen. Pray that you would give him a time of rest away from all of his busy duties in, in, in Kenya. Pray that you would speak to him by your Spirit in all the ways, through people, through preaching, through travel. And, uh, Father, pray that you would give him a good time. For his family back home, bless them. Keep him safe. Give him great faith for his friends and all of his family and for his church and, and, and all of those that are in his life. I pray that you would bless them greatly. And, and, and Father, if you're willing, bring him back there safely. Um, but we lift him up and we pray that you would just give him a good time. Thank you for letting him be with us today. And Father, the, the rest of these things, as I prayed, we leave them in your hands this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The Great Founder. Today's truth, main truth, comes from verse 10. So keep your finger on Hebrews. We're going to turn a little bit here and there. Not too bad, but keep it there. Verse 10, look at it with me. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, the word for founder is also translated as author, it's translated as captain, it's translated as pioneer, and we're going to see that come out, pioneer, it, it's translated as prince, did we not sing prince of glory this morning? It's translated as originator, and so the meaning for founder is great, I think of those captains of great voyages that sailed from Europe and tried to explore the world in their ships. And I think of those of you who are older, if you watched Star Trek, do you remember the the motto there that started it? To boldly go where no man has gone before. And so... Though all of these things, these pioneers and these things I'm describing here as pictures or examples, they're, they're, they're okay and they're good, but they fall short. But in the same kind of way, Jesus is described as the author, the founder, the pioneer, the prince. And he has certainly gone where no man has gone before. But there's more to this passage than to him just being our founder or our pioneer. The emphasis, I think, of this chapter and of this text is not just on what he did, but it's also what he, more than what he did, but how he suffered in order to accomplish what he did as a pioneer. He endured great hardships and suffering, Even to the point of death. Look at Philippians 2 8. Well, don't turn there. Just let me read it. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name. And then look back at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews 1, verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And look at chapter 2, verse 9. But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor. Why was he crowned with glory and honor? Because of his suffering and his death. In our text today, we have three, I have three results of... Christ's suffering as our founder. Three results. Here they are. First, number one. He is the founder of a new world. A new world. So that's number one. Number two. He is founder of our salvation. That's number two. Number three. He is the founder of a new family. So, world, salvation, family so here we go number one through suffering and death he is the founder of a new world now i get this from verses five to ten look back there with me again chapter two verses five to ten for it was not to the angels that god subjected the world to come so he's speaking about a world to come of which we are speaking It has been testified somewhere. He's going back to a psalm, and he's quoting a psalm. We'll talk about that in a moment. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels, but you've crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, He left nothing outside of His control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. But we see Him for a little while who was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. And so... What we have here, just to try to make that a little bit more simple, in these words, verses 5 to 10, we see a shift in power. A shift in authority because of the suffering of Christ. Particularly what happened at his death. Now, let's remember our context when we think about this shift of authority. Think about the context. The author is showing here in chapter 1 and chapter 2 the superiority of of, of Christ over the angels. We've been doing that every week, over and over and over again. So we know the context. And so, when we think about God giving the angels great authority, think about that with me for just a moment, for the authority over this world. This world, also called the old world, that, that the writer of Hebrews is talking about, was given to the angels to administer. Um, In the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, here's what we read in in Deuteronomy 32.8. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when He separated the sons of Adam, He established boundaries for the nations according to the number of the angels of God. So, when I, when I think about God giving authority to the angels, both good and bad, both good and evil angels in this world, think of Daniel. He had a vision one time on the bank of the Tigris River. I don't know, you might remember this. But an angel stood before Daniel in this vision. And here's what this angel said to Daniel. As Daniel is praying for God to deliver, he's praying. He says, Daniel... Do not be afraid, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So an angel has come to Daniel. This isn't a vision, but the angel has come, and he says, this angel continues, The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, talking about the angel, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. That's Daniel 10. And so, do you see here that in some way, shape, or form that God has given the authority to administer certain things, in this world. Also Paul says, so these things have been put in subjection to them. We've seen this in chapter 1. Go back to Hebrews chapter 1. Turn back over. He makes his angels winds, his ministers a flame of fire. So God tells the angels go here, go there, do this, do that, and there they go. And in chapter 1 verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for those who are to inherit salvation. So here you go. Angels are ministering this, the administration of this world. Those who are being saved, there they are. God is, has given them such great authority to do this in this world. In God's providence, I we can't understand... All these things as to why God does what He does and how He runs things. But in His providence, this present world is under the administration of angels, good and bad. Just this week, I've been reading through Job. What happens to the, Satan? Comes to God and says, "Have you con-, or actually God says to him, Have you considered my servant Job? So then we know the story. God gives Satan permission to go and do this, these things with Job. And Job suffers unlike anybody we know. And so, in this text, I think that's what he's getting at. So, the administration of this world, this present world, the old world, that's what we see. Then he shifts. Here's the shift of authority. And he speaks of a world to come. Look at verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, as it will be subjected to another. In other words, there's going to be a shift in authority from the angels to who? The Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And why? This is the key to the passage. Why? Because of His humiliation. When I say humiliation, I mean everything that God the Son took on in His incarnation, His life, His death, and eventually His resurrection and His ascension. So in order to show this truth, the author quotes Psalm 8. I love Hebrews, because preaching Hebrews is preaching the Old Testament. Psalm 8. Turn with me to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. I'm going go very quickly here. Psalm 8. In verses 1 and 2, The psalmist is speaking of the greatness of God. Then, moving on to verse 3 there in Psalm 8, he's thinking of God's majesty in creation. And he wonders why God has given so much authority and dominion to us, to mankind. I mean, I think he's thinking going back to Adam and Eve and all of us. And so he's wondering, what in the world? Do you remember God's mandate to us? Whether we live in Africa, or we live in the United States, or we live in China, doesn't matter. As God's creatures created in His image, separate from the rest of the world, what is our task? Genesis 1, 26. God said, let us make man in our own image, and after our likeness. And here it is. And let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, look at Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've set in place, all of this majesty, he says, what is man that you are mindful of Him and the Son of Man, that you care for Him. Then verses 5 and 6. Yet you've made Him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Still talking in the context of, of humans. man, man and women, Men and women. You've made Him a little lower than heavenly beings. Crowned Him with glory and honor. You've given Him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under His feet. The author of Hebrews show is trying to show us and tell us that these verses ultimately point to the Son of God. Because after all, did He not take on flesh? 100% man. Just like us. Who, as for those of you here in our men's group, Philippians 2, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But instead, what did he do? He became a servant. And he became obedient even to the point of death. He emptied himself. If We think about the first man, Adam. What did Adam do? He sinned. And all of everything that his sin, Adam and Eve's sin, the enmity of God has been passed down to us. That's why we don't have to teach our kids to be bad, do we? We have to teach them to be good, because naturally, what's coming? Sin. Sin. And so, there's a difference though. Adam was a sinner. Jesus Was not. And so, (laughs) Jesus accomplished what Adam lost and what we lost because of sin. But the Son, who is also a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, he was the perfect man and he obeyed the law of God perfectly in every way. And then what did he do? He laid down his life on the cross. Look at verse 9. But we see Him for a little while was made lower than the angels. So you see the little while, short time there, 33 years. Namely, Jesus, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering and death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. Brothers and sisters, we live in a sinful, evil world And from one perspective, there is absolutely nothing we can do to change this fact that sin is here. We we do not have power in and of ourselves over sin and death. Now, as Larry so greatly showed us this morning, we do live as salt and light in this world as we go and we make disciples. And... As the hearts of men and women are changed, so the world changes. So, from that regard, we do have that ability, but it's still not our, our power that does that. But, at the end of the day, we cannot overcome sin and its effects. As Adam fell, so we are fallen in him. But there is a new Adam, the man, Christ Jesus. And because of his suffering and death, particularly concerning concerning the fallen angels, Paul says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. That's Colossians 2.15. And because of his death, he is the founder of a new world. So let me make a, a couple comments before moving on. The world we live in right now is sinful and evil. This is apparent. Everything that we look around and we see death and we see sickness and we see famine and we see people hating one another and we see conflict. I was just, even in Sunday school this morning, just thinking about Father Knows Best. And Chris and I were watching the other night and almost every, every other line had something to do with teaching those kids how to respect authority, work hard. You know, be obedient to their parents, don't tell any lies, do what's right. When we look around, what do we see? We see so much mess. It's because we live in a sinful, evil world. But when Jesus died on the cross, and he said, it is finished, and he breathed his last, the curtain of the veil to the temple was ripped in two, from one corner down to the other. And when that happened, the power of sin and death, <laughs> there he went. It was destroyed. That's, this means that now, brothers and sisters, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Where is he sitting? He's not going to suffer anymore. His suffering is done. He sits at the right hand of the majesty on how, I mean, on high. So he will never suffer again. But because of this, we live in an overlap, don't we? We still live in this old world, but the new world has come. Because if you are a Christian today, Sin and death has no power over you. And when Christ comes back, if you are here, you will rise with Him. If you die before then, you will rise with Him because of His conquering of sin and death on the cross, very clearly. There is an overlap now in this old world as the angels were given subjection to. So they still have this authority But this overlap is going on. The new world has come because of the suffering and death of Christ. And we're moving towards that. The here and the now. And then we wait for what is to come. And so concerning our suffering now. One comment. Romans 8, 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing. With the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. So that's truth number one. He is the founder of a new world. Number two. And that's my longest truth, by the way, out of the three. Number two. Through suffering and death, he is the founder of our salvation. Today we remember 2 Corinthians 5:17. You probably can quote it. If any man be in Christ, he is a new what? He is a new creation. This means so much, but it's all connected with the death of the Son. It is <clears throat> when we think about what it means to be a new creation, it is salvation from sin and death it is new life now we are seated with the heavenlies in the heavenlies with Christ now it is eternal life to come and all of these glorious truths are a result of our founder our Prince our pioneer we could say through suffering and death and this we remember today as we take the Lord's Supper now we see this truth that he is the founder of our salvation throughout this passage. Look at me, look with me to verse 9. And so think about our truth. He's the founder of our salvation. Verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. This is his incarnation, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because the suffering and death. So that he might, by the grace of God, taste death for everyone. Then look at verse 10. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their what? Salvation perfect through suffering. Look at verse 14, second part. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death, that is the devil, and deliver those who through death were subject to lifelong slavery. And then look at verse 17. And then there, verse 17, to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Now, I think the picture here I'm going to try to make this a little, a little bit more simple here. I think that the author is thinking back to the greatest, what's the greatest time in the history of Israel. What would you say? The greatest time in the history of Israel. I think it goes without saying that it is their deliverance from Egypt. That's when they became a people, OK? But I think the author is, they're all thinking back. Remember, he's writing, it's why it's called the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews. They are thinking Hebrews, back to their time of slavery. And so let's think about that for just a minute. I cannot imagine witnessing the miracles that happened during that time. Think about all the miracles. The Nile was turned to blood. There were frogs that covered the land. Gnats, flies, locusts came down and ate all the crops, livestock, the cattle died, the people were struck with boils all over their bodies, hail, that wasn't enough, hailstones fell from the sky, and what the locusts did not eat, then the hail got the rest of the crops. Darkness came, unlike anything that we've ever known or seen, came over the land. Darkness. Miracle after miracle. And then finally, the last plague there, all of the firstborn from the land of Egypt, those who did not put the blood over their door, it's a picture of Christ, but all of those firstborn in Egypt died. (laughs) Can you imagine what... What went on at that time, and who was their leader, who was their pioneer, who was their founder, who was their prince, who did they look to, who was the one we watch? Watch the the Ten Commandments. There's Moses with the big beard, like Caleb, standing there with his, you know, no Charlton Heston. He have a beard, I don't remember, but there he is. He's got his staff, and everybody looked to Moses. And I'm sure that's 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 what, exactly what happened. Moses was their leader. And then even as he brought them out, the Egyptians, what did they do? They let them go, but then what did they do? (laughs) They gave them all their jewelry, and they gave them their possessions, trying to appease God, really, is what they're doing. These are sacrifices. Don't let this keep happening to us. We are ruined as a people. So then they go out into the desert, and they go over to the Red Sea. What happens? Pharaoh says, hmm, there they are. They're defenseless. I still got an army. Send them out. There they are again. They look to Moses. Moses prays to God. And what does God do? Opens up the sea. They go through it. And then all of the Egyptians follow and they are destroyed. All of Egypt was plundered and destroyed in all of these things. And if we think of Moses as their prince, as their founder, as their pioneer, he suffered. He suffered. If you keep reading through Exodus, and you read through the the first five books of the Bible, you'll see that, that he was a meek and humble man, and he endured great hardships, and he suffered greatly. He was their founder. Well, now move forward. In the same kind of way, Moses is a picture for us. Who does Moses picture? Our founder. The reason we are here today and we sit and we listen to this preaching and we sing these songs, our founder is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, think about Moses. Moses was just like, just like one of us. So was Jesus, but there's a difference. Moses was a sinful man like us. He was born in a lowly setting, and death was sure to come his way if God had not protected him because in that time they were killing all the firstborn, or all the not the firstborn, all the male children in, in Israel. And then through his life, as God spares him and he kills the man and he runs away from Egypt, what does he do? He runs away from God. I believe he knew what he should have done, but he runs away. But God uses those days in the desert, and there he is for all these years. And he's running away. He's like, Get me away from all of this. And what does God do? The burning bush. God appears to him in the bush and calls him. (laughs) And what did he say? I'm ready, God. Do you you remember that? He did not say, I'm ready to go. He said, Lord, I I can't speak. Uh, I, I think you should find somebody else. That was a great sin. Not to believe God in what He said. He was a sinner. But when we come to the Lord Jesus, the founder of our salvation, in fact, this is key to His suffering and His death. Jesus, He did not sin. He came down. Unlike Moses, what a mystery the incarnation is. The Son of God took on flesh. But He came from where? Where? He came from heaven, but when He took on flesh, it was no different than ours. For this reason, He was born. In fact, if you think about it on a deeper level, God is spirit. Can God die? No. No. It's amazing the plan of God to send the Son and take on flesh. Amazing. For this, Jesus was born. He was made, think back to our text. He was made for a little while lower than who? The angels. Verse 9. Jesus did not resist His Father's will. In every way He was obedient in both His heart and in His deeds. In every way that Adam, the first man, failed, Jesus was victorious in every way and then when jesus got to be certain age 30 years old there and he started his ministry for those years and even all the way up to to that time and all through that time he never sinned not once and then what did he do that's why we're here today he laid down his life on the cross why Look at verse 9. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Why? Look at verse 14, second part. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Why? Look at verse 15. And deliver. Deliver. There's the idea of Moses delivering. Now the Lord Jesus, our founder, the perfect Son of God, the perfect Son of Man, that He might destroy the one who has the power of death. Why? Look at verse 15, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Why? Look at verse 17, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. As we've seen from chapter 1 of Hebrews, Jesus is superior to to the fathers, to the Old Testament saints, to the prophets, to the angels. He is the pioneer, not the angels. How? Well, in his incarnation, his life, his suffering, and his death, he did what, very, very important, guys, what only, only he could do as the Son of God. This is why he is the founder of our salvation. This is why he is the pioneer of our salvation. And he tasted death, the scripture tells us here. Much I could say here, this may be misleading to some, as some say, well, there you go, he merely sipped death. But the meaning is very clear if we read the whole passage and read the rest of the Bible. As a man, he suffered and he died. We sang about it this morning, his body was in the ground, in the ground his body lay. And he suffered and he died. What else did he do? He destroyed the one who has power over death, that is the devil. As Larry pointed out again this morning, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That is us. Very, very good words. Jesus himself said, How can someone enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods? unless he first binds the strong man. In other words, if you're going to go and you're going to steal someone's goods, and they've got, they've got guns, and they've got all these things in their house to protect themselves, what are you going to have to do first? You're going to have to somehow bind that person who has all of that power and all of that authority. Then, you can steal their goods. That's Matthew twelve twenty nine. Today, Satan in this way he is bound he is bound he no longer has power over sin and death he cannot keep the gospel from going to the ends of the earth he cannot stop it he cannot if you are in christ this morning and your sins are covered he cannot do anything to touch you he he just can't. He is bound. He is bound. That is the best news that I can preach this morning. And in this, we remember, this is what Jesus did. He, this is what He did. As Jesus says to Lazarus, you come out of the grave, so we see the regenerating power of the Spirit of God in this world. When one goes back to Kenya and he preaches the gospel, someone will hear and someone will be saved. Until he comes back. When we do that all over the world, that is what's happening. That is why we are here today. Satan. And if you are in Christ, Satan is bound. He cannot do anything. If you are not, let me just tell you, if you are not a Christian, then Satan has great power. The administration of the old world. Great power and authority over you because of sin and death. And so I would urge you, If you are not a Christian, look unto Christ. By faith, look unto Him. If this is the first time you've understood some of these things, I know I haven't shared the gospel real clearly and succinctly, but you're putting it together, and I will in a moment. But if you believe these things and you go, Yes, now I get it. This is why Jesus came. He is my founder. He died for my sins. I would say, look unto Him and be saved in his suffering and in his death as our founder what does he do the same thing that moses did he delivers us from the slave from slavery to sin and death look at verse 16 for surely it is not the angels that helps but he helps the offspring of abraham in other words if you are united to christ by by faith you are abraham's offspring this is the family of God. This is the church. And this belongs to the world, not merely to the nation of Israel. What else did He do? Verse 17. He made propitiation for the sins of the people. In, their old, in that old system, in Mosaic Law, Moses and Aaron, what did they do? They offered up bulls and goats and different types of, of birds and this and that. all of these sacrifices they offered up. <laughs> but Hebrews 10:4, "The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. because why? they did it every, every day, every week, every month, every year, all the way up till when. You see the cut shift of a power and authority from the old world to the new. This is because of the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away our sins. But when the Lord Jesus was offered up, God was satisfied. He said, yes. His wrath, His anger was poured out upon Christ. That is propitiation. No longer is that problem. There is that big that, that wall from God's side. To us, it is taken away. His anger and his wrath is averted because it fell upon Christ. That is the death of Christ. God's anger falls upon him so that when we trust in him, he gives us his righteousness and we give him all of our sin, all of our anger, all of our impatience, all of our mess in our families, all the things that we go through in this sinful world, we give to him every bit of it. And all of his righteousness he gives to us. There's nothing, I've said this over and over through the years, there's nothing more comforting to the people of God than this. Nothing more comforting today than to know this and be able to say it with truthfulness and know it in your heart that our sins are forgiven. God is no longer angry at me, at you, because of our sins. As He is happy with the sacrifice of Christ, so is God happy with those who are in Christ. If you are a Christian today, God is happy with you. He has not judged you, He has judged someone else. Discipline comes, but not the judgment of God that fell upon Christ. This is peace to know Him. What a beautiful pioneer. What a beautiful founder we have. Through suffering and death, He is the founder of our salvation. So this we remember as we eat this morning. That's truth number two. Finally, number three. Through suffering and death, he is the founder of a new family. New world, new salvation, or salvation, and a new family. Look at verses 11 to 13. It's all throughout this passage, but look at verse 11. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. The Greek is brothers and sisters. Okay, brothers. In this verse, we see that God does what? He sets apart a people, a special people for himself. And the Son calls them who? Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. Can you imagine that? The Lord Jesus Christ calling you brother or sister? And then look at verses 12 and 13. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children, children, there's a key, children God has given me. Now, what the author is doing again is quoting from the Old Testament to make a point. Very briefly, the first, there's three quotations here in verses 12 to 12 and 13. The first is from Psalm 22. It's a psalm of David. When David says, he is, he's running from Saul probably, but he's saying, God, why have you forsaken me? In this psalm, David is suffering great persecution. But in the end, God saves David. And then he says, because of what God has done for him, David says, I'll, I'll tell everybody. I'll tell the brethren about what you have done. How fitting of a psalm is this? The Jews did not see this psalm as pointing to the Messiah. A lot of psalms they did, but this was not one of them. But the author shows that this fulfillment of this psalm is not just in David. It points to Christ. The suffering of the Son of God (laughs) accomplishing their salvation. And then he quotes two more from Isaiah 8, 17, and 18. And there Isaiah is just, again, he's waiting for the salvation of God's people. And again, there's much here, and we'll hit more things as we go through in the coming days. But for now, my point here is that through suffering and death, he is the founder of a new family. Again, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And this new creation is pictured here as a family. Now, if you go back and you look at the Old Testament, over and over and over again, you see this prophesied. Something will happen one day outside of this physical nation of Israel when a new family will be brought in to Israel. Isaiah 43, verse 5. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, From the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give it up. To the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar. My daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name. Whom I created for my glory. Whom I formed and made. And so he's just not talking about the nation of Israel, is he? He's talking about the ends of the earth. I think of lots of passages. But mostly I think of Isaiah 53. Turn with me there to Isaiah 53. We're almost finished before we take the Lord's Supper. But I think of Isaiah 53 when I think of this new family. And the context is a suffering servant. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. He was despised, rejected by men. (laughs) We sang this morning, man of sorrows, what a name, for the Son of God who came... (laughs) Then, verse 5, He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Verse 6, The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8, He was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of My people. And then, starting in verse 10 of Isaiah 53, we see what happens... Because of his suffering and death, and that's where we're at today. Verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Then notice that he shall see his offspring, verse 11 or verse 10 there. out of the anguish and 11, out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. In other words, this one coming, he will die, He will suffer, and that because of this suffering he will see the nations he will see a family come in finally verse 12 because of this suffering servant god says therefore i will divide him a portion with the many i think of 1st peter 2 9 and 10 but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And then he says there, verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. The entire, Larry, I just want to say, this morning what you were doing in Ephesians, moving there and talking with Greg and just thinking about the book of Ephesians, the whole book is about this unity That has happened because of the death of Christ. He has brought together Jew and Gentile into what? The exact same family. What do we call that today? What does the New Testament call that? The church. Now there is unity. What a fitting time for Wambua to come and be here from Africa. But he is my brother. I have more in common with Wambua because of Christ than I have with with some of my own family members who are outside of Christ. I have more in common with someone who sits in China in prison who is a believer in Christ that I'll never see than I do with my bestest of friends here that are not Christians. Brothers and sisters... We have more in common with the family of God, the family of Christ, than we do with our own physical family. That's why many of us, many of you, suffer because of your stance. Jesus did say, after all, I did not, in this regard, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Mother and father will fight. Brother will fight against sibling. Child will fight against father and mother because of Why? The gospel. There is a division. There is the family of God and there is not. But we are the family of God today. And the reason is because the Son, going back to Hebrews 1, who is the heir of all things. He is the creator of the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of His nature. He is the administrator of the universe, and he took on flesh, and he dwelt among us. And he didn't simply live among us, he suffered, and he died. This is why we are the new family of God. And it had to be this way it had to be a man. And we're not even getting into that. That's why I'm thinking I may be another sermon here. He had to be a man. Because in Adam, the first man who was given all of this dominion, he failed. But in Christ, we are a new creation. We are a new family that does not fail. When you leave this place, in this regard, you do not fail. Because you've been created in the image of God. And that which was lost in Adam is gained in Christ. You go out of here, we are free in Christ. Free in Christ. He is the founder of a new world. He is the founder of our salvation. He is the founder of a new family. This we remember this morning as we take the Lord's Supper. <laughs> and then finally, there, verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's also able to help those. And I'm not even those who are tempted, I'm not even talking about that so much yet. So, with that in mind, what a beautiful Savior we have. What a beautiful founder we have we have who sits in heaven and he is leading us now as our prince take us to heaven Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.